Thank you so much. You can continue to pass those. Hey, we're so, uh, so glad you're here. And, and here's the thing. Uh, by the way, worship was great, wasn't it? Like, I love that new song. Um, Chains fall, fears bow, here now, Jesus changes everything. I mean, those are some powerful words, right? Oh, my gosh. I was, I was loving it. If you weren't, it was just whatever. Anyway, what are powerful and perfect words for us as we are in this series about Jesus about the fact that he changes everything about everything. Um, our teachings have obviously centered around Jesus. And we've been talking about his life, his story, his message. We've been talking about what Jesus wants to do in this world, what he wants to do in us. We've been talking about the things that when we step into the things of Jesus, it actually does lead us to new places and to new things. And um, we're just longing for the presence of God and the person of Jesus. And I, and I hope that for you, and I know that we're not all on the same page here, but I hope that for you, you would see and you would, you would desire that this would be your greatest longing in your life, to have more Jesus. That that would be what you want more than anything else. That Jesus and the presence of God in your life would be the thing that you would see, I want that and I'm, I'm pursuing that. So Jesus, he was this ever-present example, right? Uh, he always was showing us the way. Last week, if you were with us, we talked a little bit about prayer. We talked about how the disciples came to him and they said, hey, Lord, teach us how to pray. And then he said, okay. And he gave them the Lord's Prayer that we all know. And we broke that down a little bit. And we talked about how we can pray breakthrough. Well, Jesus actually prayed for us as well. So it wasn't just this Lord's Prayer. There was a moment in Scripture in which he prayed for you and me. I don't know if you knew that. Most, some of you do. But I want to take us to that because inside this prayer, we see a longing inside of Jesus that I think shows us a little bit of his heart, what he hopes to see happen, not only, um, not only for the sake of his church, but the sake of, of you and me. And so this is in John 17. If you have a Bible, you can open to that. We'll start in verse, verse 20, and I'm going to walk through four verses here, five verses, and, uh, and then we're going to talk about a number of things today, hopefully fun things for us as a, as a church family. So this is Jesus praying. And he says, my prayer is not for them alone. That's how the verse starts. And just so you know, if you backed up, he's talking about his disciples. He had just prayed for his disciples, those 12 that he had. He says, I'm not just praying for them. He said, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Who's that? Us, right? Anybody that believes in Jesus through the message of basically what the disciples brought to the world from Jesus. I'm also praying for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you and me, uh, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me and that they, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me. So that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. <clears throat> you can just sense. You can just sense the passion and the purpose inside of Jesus' prayer here. His, he's praying that we may be one, right? But he's also praying that we will be brought together in complete unity. That there'd be a unity and a oneness among his people, among us, among you and I, among the person sitting next to you. There'd be this, this unity among us that the world would, the unity would be so strong that the world would actually know that Jesus was sent for the sake of all humanity as an act of love. Like, 
the unity would be so thick that people would say, oh, Jesus must be real. Can you imagine that kind of unity, like that, a kind of unity that actually draws people to why Jesus came. So this is a beautiful prayer for Jesus. We're gonna talk about unity today because I think it's something we all want. It's something that we all need. And I don't mean unity like, <clears throat> like fans of a team unite. You know what I'm talking about? Like football season is about to begin. Who's excited about football season? Cool. I don't know if we have a football, football room here. And there was like seven people that went, yeah. Um, and in, in Oklahoma, we have a couple people that uni they, we, we unite around different teams, don't we? We have some that are Crimson and Korean OU fans. Who's OU fan in here? All right. All right. Now, some, some are, you know, black and orange and they unite around OSU. Who's OSU fans? <laughs> okay. So I just divided the room. See, we have a problem here. Um, <clears throat> it's so funny. You're walking around in this time of year and people are wearing, you know, their OU stuff and you're like, yeah, what's up? You know, high five to people you don't even know. And then you walk by someone not wearing your colors and you're like, loser. You know what I mean? You just like under your breath or you just don't like the person. And there's this, this unity that, disunity that's created just about, you know, just about your fandom. And I, I just want you to know, I'm not talking about a type of unity that's sort of like fanhood. I'm talking about a unity that, that isn't found sitting in the stands. I'm not talking about the type of unity where it's seasonal or, oh, it's time to put our gear on. I'm not talking about, oh, it's thunder season. Let's all start hashtagging thunder up. I'm not talking about a type of unity, and I know you guys know I'm not talking about that, but I, I, I do believe that most of us understand unity around agreement, agreement around something we like. And there is truth in that fact that it starts with unity around agreement around Jesus, but it goes deeper than that because it's unity around like not only what we like, but who we're like. And so we have to actually become like something in order to be unified. So I don't mean kind of, I kind of, I mean the kind of unity that Jesus was talking about here, where Jesus and the Father are one, where they are united in passion and purpose, where we depend on one another, right? Where we depend on one another in the battle that we're in. This kind of unity is unique. It's beautiful. It's one that knowing that we are living for the same passion and in the same purpose, and a unity that it's, it's, it's actually a sight to see, this kind of unity. It's not about fanhood. It's not about sitting in the stands but it's about, it's in our hearts. It beats deep within us about our greatest passion and our greatest purpose. It's about being united in the sense that you can count on the person that's sitting next to you or sitting in the front row or sitting up in the balcony in a kind of way that you can't depend on anybody else. By the way, balcony people, do you like that second row up there? Okay, yeah, so the second row just got a six inch lift up there, like a little platform they can actually see a little better now. And we also just extended our stage 10 feet. Who noticed the stage being extended? Who didn't notice the stage being extended? It's because we are not in unity yet, people. We are not one. Um, just kidding. Um, thank you to the guys who built onto stuff. That was awesome this week. But I want us to imagine if we had a deeper unity for the passion that Jesus is called, called to and the purpose that he wants us to live in. You know, God is doing a lot of wonderful things in our church, and we're actually seeing his spirit poured out in a lot of cool ways. And we're actually, it's not just our church. I see it, and I've heard stories about going on in our city and around the country. I just, be I just believe that God's doing a work in which he's pouring out his spirit on his people, and we're going to actually start seeing things that we can't even explain where they come from other than God. Are you with me? 
And this is happening in such a way because I believe God's desire is always to pour his spirit out. And he's looking for generations of people that are saying, I'm going to be yielded to you, God, and I'm going to receive whatever you have for us. And so this is where we're going. This is what we're asking for. And this is what we want to see is that more of God moving in our life in a way that we've never seen before. And the other, the other day, last Sunday, there was a girl. We talk about God doing stuff in our church and different types of breakthrough. Well, last Sunday, there was a girl in our church. She hadn't been to church in two years, right? She hadn't been to church in two years. She had been walking in a lot of pain, a lot of hurt. Her father had passed away. And ever since that had happened, she hadn't been able to come into a church because she related that with the Lord and all this sort of stuff. It was just kind of one of those stories, you know, you just hurt for the girl. And she shows up because a friend of hers who goes to our church had been reaching out to her saying, you should come to church. You should come to church. And she finally comes. And God starts moving in her heart immediately when she gets into the room. And she starts feeling God come around her and her presence start to kind of come around her in such a way that she's like, okay, God, I can't deny this. I'm going I'm, I'm to, you know, just see what happens here. And she comes to church that day and God starts moving in her. And then we did a prayer night. You guys remember that last Monday night? And some of you came to that. We had about 30 people here. She came to that. So this girl who hadn't been to church in two years came to church two, two days in a row. <laughs> and she's praying. And people are coming around her praying. She's coming to the altar praying. And then afterwards, she tells me the story. She goes, you know what? I felt like I was so far away from God. Like it would take me forever to get back to him. It took me two years to get this far. I thought it would take me a long time. It was like I was at the bottom of a mountain and I'd make my way up. And she said, and all of a sudden, in one, and, and instantly, God pulls me back in and sets me on top of the mountain. And I'm like, that is breakthrough, right? Where God doesn't make you remove the wall, build the bridge, he just does it for you. He puts steps of discipline in front of us. He puts steps of obedience in front of us. There's work that we got to do. I get it. But there are times that God says, guess what? I'm the one who heals. I'm the one who, I'm the one who breaks through. I'm the one who actually transforms and changes and builds the bridge and takes down the walls. I'm the one who does that, if you'll trust me. And so there's this beautiful thing happening in which the Lord is showing us that he will do immeasurably more than we ever imagine or ask. He'll do it. He'll do the work. And I, and I love this because there's this picture of immediate restoration. By the way, in John 16, he says he'll turn our grieving into joy. And, and, and I thought, man, that just happened here. It just happened where someone was experiencing it. So often in life, we, we, we have these moments and we, we don't know if God is going to do the work that we read about or that we think about. So today I just I want to talk about it because I believe unity is so critical in the middle of this and I want to talk about um, this idea that Jesus presents in his prayer. What does he say? He says that they would be brought together to complete unity. Have you ever been completely unified with every, anyone? That's a pretty tall order. Like, even within your family or in your marriage, like complete unity. But this is what he prays for. We must recognize, and what I'm saying in that is, what if we could recognize the work that God is doing and unify around that? What if we could recognize and we could acknowledge the truth of God's word unify around that, maybe like we never have before, or perhaps even beyond that, we can unify around the things that God is speaking, and he's speaking to you, and he's speaking to me, and he's speaking to others in here, and that we could listen and discern the things that he's saying, and we can unify around that. And so, with that in mind, I want to take a little time this morning and talk about a few family-related topics. Big, big idea of unity, but I want to talk about our family, meaning our church family, because we're a family, and I want to be a healthy family. Anybody with me? Do you guys want to be a healthy family or an unhealthy family? Healthy family, right? And unhealthy families, just so you know, unhealthy church families don't communicate. They aren't honest. They don't trust one another, and they aren't unified. Are you with me? Ever been in an unhealthy church family? 
Two people have. The rest of you, you've been blessed. I have been in an unhealthy church family, and, and you know what? I don't want to be that ever. I want to be in a healthy church family where we are constantly talking about really the family needs and what the family's going through and what, what's happening within the family and the dynamics of it. And I've been thinking about a few things for some time, and I've been praying about them, and so have others. And you know what? God's kind of clearing the fog a little bit, but it's not quite clear, and I feel like this is the right time to talk to our church family about what's going on. And so I want to talk about three things today. Um, are you ready for them? Are you ready for them? Do you want to talk about our family today or not? Yeah, all right, let's do this. Three things on the screen. We're running out of space. What's God saying about that? I don't know. Uh, we need to talk about finances because God can do anything, and we can live, we actually can live in complete unity. And you're like, oh, okay, so we're, we're talking about something practical. Yeah, because here's the thing. I want, to, I want you to think of today as a little bit of a vision day. We're talking about unity and the idea of unifying around something. This is a little bit of a vision day, but, at, but it's not like complete vision. We aren't talking about our vision statement and all that sort of stuff. There are so many wonderful things we can talk about in this church, but today this is just the two thing, three things that I felt like we need to talk about. We could talk about a lot of things. We could talk about our kids and our youth ministry and how we feel like this next month God's given us a strategic vision to roll up for youth ministry. It's a really big deal, and we need to talk about it like now, but we're not going to talk about it now. We're going to talk about this. We also need to talk about how we feel like God's leading us into new areas of international mission, or we feel like God's you know, calling us out deeper into our bringing life initiatives, and we feel like God wants to do things to love and serve our city in a new and amazing way. All that stuff is real, and we're going to talk about it, and they're all part of our vision, but we're going to start here, um, and so if you're new here, if this is your first day, I, you get a little bit of an internal look at our church today, um, and the great things that I think are happening. So let's talk about number one here. We're running out of space. What's God saying about that? That's a question, really, I'm asking you. What's, can you help me out? What's God saying? Because I need to know. Um, let, me, let me give you some inf information uh, about our space. It's no secret that most Sundays you walk in here in both services, there's not many chairs. It doesn't seem to be many chairs left. Um, they fill up, and especially during worship, if you walk in a little bit late, you're like, I can't find a seat. Anybody experience that? I don't know where to go. And then I just want to say there's usually seats up here in the front. And uh, if you are a regular around here, and if you really want to serve those who are coming in late, which I think you should, um, or on time, just come sit up in the front with us and hang out. It's a, it's a great place to be. Um, but we first talked about this space challenge at our family meeting back in January. And so I know some of you are at that, but a lot of you probably weren't. And I want to show you a slide that sort of breaks the numbers down rather simplify the space challenge we're up against. And you can go to the first slide. So technically, this building can handle 240-ish people per service. That's including kids. Okay? I like the ish. I just want to make sure, you know, it might be 39. It could be 41. I'm not quite sure. Um, realistically, this building can handle 180-ish people per service. That's a 75% capacity of our realistic capacity. And what does that mean? You realistically cannot exceed about 80% capacity in a church. It's just like a church rule. There's been a lot of study on it. I'm not making it up. It's a real deal. People think it's 100% full at 80%. Are you with me? Because you walk in and you say, there's no chairs. And there's actually 20% of our chairs are empty. But you just don't feel like they are. And so people that are new, like, it's, just, it's uncomfortable, you know, and they leave. Um, so that's realistically this building can hold about 180-ish people per service. Next slide. 360 people, so that means, if you can do math, that's 360 people for two services will feel very full. Now, that's full, all right? That's not like, and that's 
360 will feel full, not necessarily in an average, which means an average attendance, if we are averaging an attendance of 335 to 345 people, if we are averaging, because you're going to have low Sundays, you're going to have high Sundays. You guys get it? We will be full at that number, 335 to 345, because we will have high Sundays of what? 360 to 380 to average 335 to 345. Are you with me? You guys are so smart. So what does this mean? Next slide. 2018 average attendance since January to today is 315 people. We have high Sundays in the 340s. Last Sunday we had 341 here. So what, what am I saying? Well, 315 to 335 is how many people? 20. <laughs> it's 20 people. We can grow by 20 people. That's what this means in our current status and current place we're in. We can 20-ish, we'll say that. So what does that mean? Well, it means a lot of things. Um, it means we need to, we're quickly running out of space um, and we wanna continue to allow new people to come to this church and so we're gonna have to create a solution. How many of you would you agree that we should continue to allow new people to come here by raising hands? Okay, good. There's a few of you that didn't. Um, we have a new service starting at 4 a.m. It's a video service. Um, you let yourself in. Uh, just kidding. <clears throat> that, was, that was kind of funny, people. Lighten up. So just so you know, we've never been a church that focuses on growth. We've never strived for growth. We've never done that. And we're not going to continue to do it. But God just continues to grow us at a steady way, not by dozens and hundreds at a time, but in a slow sort of healthy growth process that we feel like has been happening since we started. And I'm, I'm thankful for that. Um, and I believe it's been a really beautiful thing to kind of see God do. Uh, and people come every week. We have new people here every week. And, um, and I think God's using this place to become a home for them and to become a part of the family. We see so many people feeling like they can belong here and they can belong before they have to even do anything else. Um, and that's been a beautiful thing. So I desperately, just so you know, want to hear clearly from the Lord about what to do about this. Um, that's just what I want. Like, I want to know that what we're doing is what the Lord wants us to do because I don't want to create something that doesn't really help us. Meaning, I don't want to create a solution that actually um, sacrifices our culture and our vision of who we are. You know what I'm saying? In the name of more crowds. Are you with me? I don't want, I don't want to do that. I also, I also don't want to create a solution that creates a bunch of work and it doesn't really create a lot of solution to get more people. You know what I'm saying by that? Meaning, oh, let's just create, you know, a service that meets at 4 a.m. And it doesn't actually bring more people, we're just, but we're working for it. And so I, I think um, there's even the option of doing nothing. I went to see Winnie the Pooh this week, Christopher Robin. Anybody with me? Good movie, by the way. And Winnie the Pooh, to quote a really, he's very smart. He says he's a bearer of little brain, but I disagree. Um, he said this, he said, sometimes doing nothing leads to the greatest something. I don't think this is the, that's the case here. I think we got to do something, but I did like the quote. <clears throat> anyway, so here's what I'm asking all of us in the name of unity. We need to be praying and listening um, to the Lord. And I'm really just asking you to pray and to pray with us diligently about this that the Lord would speak to us and that you would ask him to speak to you and to see yourself as part of the family and that your voice matters. And if the Lord speaks to you, that we want to hear it. 
You know what I'm saying? I would love to hear it. In case you're wondering, quite a bit of work and effort has been made over the last number of months since January is when we started working on this more diligently. And in case you're like, if you just want to know what's, where we're at in the process, here's a, a little bit of information. If you think, well, let's just buy the buildings to the east. These seem to be empty. Nobody's using them. Anybody th thinking that yet? Um, yeah. Well, those buildings, just so you know, um, we have done a lot of work, extensive work on that potential op op option. Uh, and it's not an option as we speak right now. And the reason is, is um, just to be really honest, it's, it's overpriced. Um, but more importantly than that, without having a parking solution to create more of a capacity need, like if we doubled our seats, where are they going to park? We don't own the parking across the street. We rent the parking across the street. And so if we don't have a parking solution to become a bigger room, right? Um, that we can control, it seems like that's not a great solution. So that's part of it. Um, part of it is cost. It would be very, very expensive. We actually cost analysis, this kind of thing. It would be like building a hospital. If you, know, if you can imagine building price per square foot for a hospital versus your house, it's about three times more to build a hospital per square foot. That's where the price point is on that right now. It's like we're building medical, but we're not. Anyway, just giving you some perspective. If you think, well, what about adding a third service? That's definitely an option. The decision becomes when do we do it and when is the right time to do it because we don't want to add a service that no one's going to come to. There's a thing called optimal times, and we need to do it at a time that we actually think we can give some breathing room to the morning services, right? And so we don't know if that's a weeknight. We don't know if that's another Sunday morning, squeeze time, Sunday afternoon, Sunday night. There's a lot of options, and we're just praying for direction. And if you thought, why don't we rent the Tower Theater? It's a great idea, too. Um, we have thought about that. We did that at Easter. And there are a lot of challenges to this, one of them being it's not our space. We won't control it anymore. That comes with a lot of challenges. It also comes with the challenge of um, our environment isn't ours anymore. We're, we're kind of visitors, right? And then the third part of that is the cost of it is pretty high. It doesn't mean that it's impossible, but the cost is high enough that it gives us pause. And we have to go, God, you'd have to do something here to make that work, because there's a lot of challenges that seem like it's going to be kind of a messy, or messy thing for us to walk into. So God would just have to kind of like open the floodgates for us in a cool way, which I think is possible. But that is, that's an option. And then if you're thinking, well, what does this mean long term? Well, I would say that's a blank slate. You know, we're open to anything. If that means anything from more services to new ministry ideas to going all online and you guys just staying home and sleeping, I don't know. Or if it means new property or whatever. There's a lot of things that could happen in the future. And all this is connected because you've got to make a short-term decision that will serve the long-term solution. Are you with me? Is this helpful? Family. That's why we're talking about this. So this is a big deal. And honestly, we can't carry it by ourselves. We need you to carry it with us. Okay, and I want um, everything these days to be centered in prayer, centered in prayer, because I want God to lead us forward. I don't want to figure this out on our own. I want God to lead us forward, and I think he will. So I'm asking you to pray, to pray continually, as we've been saying lately, to give thanks in all circumstances, to rejoice in this, and then say, God, will you give us more? Will you give us more? Because we want to do this all for your glory. Are you with me? All right. Second thing I want to talk about. Um, that didn't answer anything, did it? Jeez. Pray. 
Second thing I want to talk about. We need to talk about our finances because God can do anything. Um, as far as family, money is a part of family. And if you're like, oh, great, I showed up at church and we're talking about money. Calm down. It's okay. This will be good. Every family talks about money. And every family talks about, I mean, if, you, if you're married, you talk about money. If, you, if with your parents, you talk about money. Everybody talks about money. And here's the, here's the celebration that I'm so thankful to be able to say and grateful for. In our church family and in our history for the last five plus years, we've never had a moment in which we were in a financial struggle or in a, in a moment where we didn't know how we were going to pay a bill. We've always had more than we needed in the moment. And that's a praise to be a church plant and to never have a financial moment where it was a crisis moment and we were going, guys, we really need you to step up and, and help us with this need. That's never, ever happened and because God has been good, and I think there's just two reasons why that's happened. One is God has moved in many of the people here to be faithful in their giving and to be faithful to not to the church. We give to the Lord and we give scripturally. And what we believe the scriptures teach us about giving, which by the way, I'm going to talk about that in a couple of weeks and, or a few months. I'll just let you figure out when. Um, and I'm going to talk about that not because I feel like we need to talk about it out of a need, but because we get to talk about it because that's what God's word is. If we're going to talk about Jesus, Jesus talked quite a bit about money, and so we're going to talk about that in a few weeks-ish. And that is going to be happening soon. Um, but I'm grateful for what God has done, and a large part is because people have been faithful to give, but also God's given us wisdom and our stewardship and how to wait and be patient and how to save for the future and We've never had, if you're a financial person, we've never had a cash flow issue in our church, never. However, we did take on debt whenever we bought this building. Um, and we purchased and re-renovated this building almost three years ago. And we've obviously been consistently paying our mortgage, but we also this year played an additional 30,000 towards our principal this year, planning to play more. Um, so recently I began feeling the need to talk about this dynamic more because uh, I, I believe we have a, I believe I don't believe we have a big need, but I believe we have some big things that God wants to do in the future. Is that, is that fair to say? And I believe that's going to be connected a little bit to our finances. And um, so I thought I'd give you a practical side of where our church is financially, and this is going to give you uh, a little bit of clarity. But you can go to the next slide. So our 2018 budget, in case you're wondering, like that is $516,000. If you're like, that's a lot of money, um, it is a lot of money. Um, but as you know, in any world and anything you live in, there's limitations to that. And then we have a debt of about a million dollars right now. So if you're like, that's, that's a lot. Um, in the church world, if you don't know much about church finances, it's not a lot of debt. And it's, it's for as far as our budget in terms of averages, it's a little above the national average, but it's below the average of a church that's growing at our rate. We grew 25% the last two years. So that's, by the way, like, very rare. Um, and so we grew 25% the last few years. So grow, churches that are growing in that rate have a higher giving per person. I'm, I know I'm getting very technical here, but just follow me for a minute. We're a little below average in what we could. All that means to me is that we have more in us. And I don't mean more money. I just mean more of ourselves to give. And, and part of that will be money. But I just feel like God has more in this church to be able to do more. Our loan is a 20-year loan, and we are two years into paying for that loan. And... Um, this just means I think we have to have a mindset that says we're grateful for what God has done um, and, and how he provides. But I just feel like, like I said, the Lord is challenging me and encouraging me to believe that he, that he has more in store ahead of us. 
And who says that God can't take care of that debt in the next 18 months instead of the next 18 years? You know what I'm saying? I really believe that. I was, I was, I was uh, recently heard a pastor friend of mine who was sharing about uh, his church. He had a church plant, and he merged with a larger church, which is an interesting thing. A smaller church virtually taking over a larger church doesn't happen often. But he did, and when he did that, he took on $7 million of debt. And they were like, they just talked about it as a church family like this and said, hey, we just don't think we should have this debt. And in one year, they paid off $7 million. Bigger church, bigger church, but nonetheless, still an amazing feat where it took God to do that. God did it. And I just, I, I don't know if that's going to be our story, but I do feel like the Lord doesn't want us to, you know, chew on this for 18 more years, right? Uh, and I believe that God may want to do this fast. I, may, I believe God can do this fast. And, and, and I don't know what that means for you, but I believe when we're talking about complete unity as a family, we start talking about space, we start talking about money, we start talking about the future. There's a lot of things that we're kind of touching on today, right? I am inviting you to uh, pray for this, obviously. <laughs> Just like on the last one, I'm inviting you to pray for God to provide. I'm inviting you to pray for God to even reveal to you revelation about what you give. Because we want to be people who give scripturally. I, I've already said this, but we don't give to an organization. We give to the church because that's where Jesus and the scriptures teach us to give. So you don't, you, don't, you don't give philanthropically like, oh, I support that vision over there like it's a nonprofit. You support it in the sense of this is what God's called us to give and taught us in his word to give. And I'm going to honor the Lord through that. So we'll talk more about that another day. But I'm praying for complete unity that God can do something with a group of people that we never saw coming. And this all happens when, what? when we live as one, when we live in complete unity. Is this helpful? Final thought, I want to, uh, the thing I mentioned a, a few at the beginning here, we can live in unity. This is possible. I feel like I should be like Oprah Winfrey, Oprah Winfrey right now. This is possible. We can do this. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, I want to turn to one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. It's a book of Nehemiah. I don't know if you've ever read Nehemiah, but if you, if you have a Bible, you can open to it. It'll be on screen, though. But if, if you don't know the story of Nehemiah, let me, let me quickly share it with you. I'll give you the really quick version of this amazing story. Nehemiah is an Israelite, meaning he's one of God's, he's part of God's family. And he is, he is a, a, a child of God, if you will. And he's not living, though, in Jerusalem, where most of God's people were, or at least in the region around Jerusalem. He was actually in another country, uh, modern-day Syria, and he's serving as a cupbearer to the king, meaning he would bring the king whatever the king wanted to drink, and he would bring it on a, in a cup. So you want some wine? I got some wine. You want some, you know, whatever. And he's bringing, them, bringing the, the, the cup to the king. Well, his brother, Nehemiah's brother, comes to him in that country and gives him a report of what's going on in Jerusalem. And Nehemiah hadn't been there in years. Um, and he gives him this, this report that Jeremiah was, I mean, excuse me, Jerusalem was in ruins. Um, now, really, 114 years prior, the city had been destroyed in a big war. The temple was destroyed. The walls were broken down. The city was destroyed. And parts of it had been rebuilt. In the time of Ezra, which is about, actually just about 20 years before, Ezra had rebuilt the temple. And if you're reading the Bible, there's a book of Ezra, then there's a book of Nehemiah. So it's actually a little bit in chronological order there. But he, he rebuilds the temple, but the walls are still broken down. And people keep invading the city. 
And so this is like a city with no police department, right? There's no defense towards anybody that wants to do anything bad to the city. And so they continue to be overrun, even though they rebuilt the temple, they continue to be overrun by their enemies. And, and Nehemiah hears this and he's grieved by this. He's grieved by it. And so he, he actually gets a vision from the Lord that he's supposed to go back to Jerusalem and he's supposed to rebuild the walls. And so he goes to the king and he gets the favor of the Lord on him because the Lord's got a plan. The Lord's gonna do something. He goes to the, to the king and he says, hey, can I go back to my homeland? My city lies in ruins, I need to rebuild it. And the king grants permission and he lets him go. I don't know who brought the wine to the king after that, but I guess someone did. New cupbearer, right? So Nehemiah leaves and he goes back to the city and then I'll, I'll pick it up in this part of the story. Uh, Nehemiah chapter two, verse 11. Nehemiah writing this, he says, I went to Jerusalem and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Now he's not a contractor, by the way, what is he? He's a cupbearer, right? But he gets a vision. He's called into something beyond his abilities, beyond his experience. And he's examining the condition of the walls and he's getting a vision for what's needed. And then Nehemiah is with the elders, verse 17, same chapter, chapter two. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in? Jerusalem lies in ruins and the gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. Now, just so you know, here's another part of the story that's really amazing. The people have been trying to rebuild the walls for 72 years. 114 years ago, they were destroyed. For 72 years, they've been trying to rebuild the walls, but they were just built a little bit and they get invaded again and break the walls back down again. They just couldn't get it done. 72 years. Then at the verse, end of verse 18, this is what it says. So they said, after, after he starts unlaying, you know, kind of opening this vision to them. So they said, let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. That's the New King James Version. I just like the way it reads. Let us rise up and build. And they set their hands to this good work. So the people of God in this moment, they unify around something. And he uses Nehemiah to do that. And the story goes on about how they organized everyone in the city to do a work. It's a fascinating story. And here's what's amazing. What they couldn't do in 72 years, God did in 52 days. The walls get rebuilt. Took them, they couldn't do it in 72 years. In 52 days, the people come together in unity and they accomplish what couldn't happen in 114 years. Complete unity. Now this is, this today, if, if, if you're wondering, this is, there's no building campaign, there's no like brochure on the way out. There's, there's nothing like that. This is not that kind of day. This is a day about vision. This is a day about saying, can we live in complete unity together? Can we become one in which we see us as a family and we're gonna do what God's called us to do? And a lot of times people think, oh, it's just about going and doing ministry and reaching, and it is. But here's a story where people, where God said, it is important to build this up and to get my city and my people safe and to get them in the place they need to be. Will you rise up and build what needs to be built so I can bring greater glory? We will no longer be in disgrace, but bring greater glory to God. This is what this is about. And I think so many times we think, oh, we don't need to give to that kind of stuff. 
here's, here's the Lord showing us a picture of complete unity, coming, us to get, coming together as a family. And so often the cry of our heart when you go to prayer, when you're laying in your bed and you're praying or you come up to the altar, the, so often the cry of our heart is for something going on as, on a personal level. And I get it. I'm the same way. And I'm saying to us today, I think it's time for us to start praying fervent cries. You remember that word from last week? Jesus went to prayer with fervent cries in his heart. We need to have fervent cries in our heart for us, for this church family in which we're going, we're out of room, what are we gonna do? This is your problem. This is your thing to pray through. This is your thing to say, we gotta rise up and build this thing. We gotta come together and trust the Lord and, and seek his voice so we can know what he's calling us to do. This is us. It's not about fandom. It's not about a kind of unity in which you sit in the stands watching someone else. It's not about that, is it? It's completely different when he talks about Jesus saying, I wanna pray for them to become one. As you and I, Father, are one, I want them to be one in complete, total unity. So what? So that the world will know that Jesus was sent by him to bring glory to Jesus. Can you imagine what would happen if a church came together as a family and as one? I mentioned two things, space and finances. And honestly, the solutions feel like, if we're just being practical about it, feel like they can take some time to figure out. They do. I don't know how we're going to get more space, how we're going to have this money to do the things we feel like we're called to do. By the way, it's not just about debt, although that's part of it. It's also about, there's a lot of ministry that we're just waiting on, right? And we just need the finances to do it. And some of those things, like they seem so far off, like it's gonna take us so long to get there. Oh God, when we get to this many people, we get this much money. What, God, what people were trying to do for 72 years on their own, God did in 52 days. Who's to say that 52 days from now, 18 months from now, whatever, we have a story to tell that we can't explain. Who's to say that we can't, we can't tell a story about the glory of God coming down and radiating in our city because a group of people came together as one. And we all own this together. And, and what did it say? Not only let us arise up and build, it says, then they set their hands to this good work. So, I don't wanna just pray for breakthrough for each of us personally. I wanna pray breakthrough for us as a church family. So my question is, and we'll end with this, what is God saying to you? And this is like my new question. It used to be, who are you becoming? Which I love that question, by the way. And I'm gonna say that question for the rest of my life. But question number two, that you're gonna probably like, Tim, I've heard you say this, but it's the one that seems to be directing everything in my life right now. It's the question that should dictate the decisions you make about life. And the question is, what is God saying to me? And the only way you can discern what God is saying is when you seek his presence and you get along with him and you listen. The only way you can actually hear the voice of God is that you learn to hear the voice of God. And it takes a process of submitting and humbling ourselves before him, being coming seekers of his presence in which we can hear the spirit in our lives coming around us, putting thoughts in our hearts and thoughts in our heads. I'm not talking always audible voice, although that's not, that's possible. But I'm talking more just like, I know this is what he's saying. 
And then, no matter how hard it is, or no matter how crazy it is, or no matter how much faith it's gonna take, then we act accordingly. I imagine and I hope that over the next number of months, I'm having people come to me saying, I've been praying, and this is what I'm hearing the Lord saying. I've been praying, and I hear this is what the Lord's saying. Doesn't always need, that's not, not always a prophetic word, but sometimes it is. Sometimes it's just like, I'm just praying, and I, the God's, God's given me passion for things, and I just gotta speak it out loud. So what is God saying to you? As a family, we need you praying. Listen, complete unity. As a family, we need you praying, listening, and stepping into the things he's saying to you. Are you with me? Did you guys catch that? So to, today to close, uh, I just wanna have a time of prayer for our church. And I'm gonna have you do it right there where you're sitting. Is that all right? If you bow your heads,